Guys, thank you. That was a, that was a real blessing. Uh, isn't it good to be saved and uh, just to have a relationship with the Lord and, and how he, he leads his children, how, how important it is for us to follow. We're sheep and he's the shepherd and uh, our desire ought to be to keep our eyes upon the shepherd. We are blind and we get lost out in the wilderness if we're not careful and if we will just put our eyes upon the Lord and follow him, what a great uh, privilege it is as a, as a Christian, as a saved person. Let's go to our Bibles uh, tonight to the book of Daniel. Uh, we're in chapter 11 this evening and I, I have personally just thoroughly enjoyed uh, going through the book of Daniel. It's, it's been uh, for me refreshing, uh, especially just looking at the days that uh, we are, are living in and, and God has, has really, this is probably the, the time I've most enjoyed the study of the book of Daniel in all of the years I've preached through it several different times. I've taught it uh, through Sunday school classes. I preached different messages out of the book of Daniel. This is really the, the first time I've ever taken a portion of scripture and just Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night to uh, just uh, march through uh, that passage of scripture. And so it's been really helpful to me personally. And, and I've seen things uh, that I've never noticed before, just as God puts together the word of God. The Bible is a precious book and it's God's book. It's different than any other book that has ever been penned. Uh, the Bible is true from cover to cover. And, and I think the more we grasp the Bible, the more, the more we uh, dig into the Bible, the more we realize that we don't know. And the same God that gave us the Bible is the same God that put all the stars in space. And the further we see into space, the further we realize we don't see. And it's kind of that way with the Word of God. The more we uh, dig into the Word of God, the more we realize we don't really know. And, and how precious is the Word of God, how good God is unto us. I'm going to read uh, a few verses. We're actually going to start in chapter 10. I want to read one verse in Daniel chapter 10, then we're going to turn to Daniel 11. So when you find your place, would you stand with me? Let's read a few verses together this evening. Daniel chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 14, Daniel 10 verse 14. Uh, we preached through this passage both Wednesday night and this morning. And in verse number 14, the angel said to Daniel, Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days. So we're dealing with the Jewish nation, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. And we're dealing in particular marching toward the latter days. And he says, For yet the vision is for many days. And what we find as we move on into chapter 11, we have that, that vision. And really, uh, a lot of the visions of Daniel kind of dovetail together. And we're going to find in Daniel chapter 9, the 70 weeks that were given to the nation of Israel. And we're going to deal this evening with the first part, uh, or we might say the first uh, 69 of those 70 weeks. Uh, we're going to deal with that uh, here this evening, and then later we'll deal with that final week once again. Now let's go to Daniel chapter 11, Daniel chapter 11, and we're going to read just a few verses, beginning at verse number 1. Also I, in the first year of Darius the Mede, even I stood to confirm and to strengthen him. Now this is the angel speaking, uh, continuing with Daniel. And now I will show thee the truth. Behold, there shall stand up yet three kings in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than they all. And by his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Grecia. 
And a mighty king shall stand up that shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. And when he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken and shall be divided toward the four winds of heaven and not to his posterity, nor according to his dominion, which he ruled for his kingdom shall be plucked up even for others beside those. Now, we move on in, in the next verses and we have very intricate details uh, given uh, of uh, future events for Daniel. Now, history for us. I want to skip down to verse number 32 in Daniel chapter 11. And he said, such as do wickedly against the covenant shall be he corrupt by flatteries. And, and uh, this is during the days of Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many. Yet they shall fall by the sword and by flame, by captivity, by spoil many days. Now when they shall fall, they shall be hoping with a little help. And many shall cleave to them with flatteries, and some of them of understanding shall fall and to try them and to purge and to make them white, even to the time of the end, because it is yet for a time appointed. Now, what we're going to do tonight is examine God's purpose in prophecy. Uh, this section of Scripture for us is today history. And we can discern from this God had a purpose in prophecy. It becomes very crucial, very important as we look at this tonight. God's purpose. And we're going to give you three, uh, many others, but three uh, purposes of God in prophecy. If you'll uh, join me, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you for your word here tonight. I thank you, Lord, for prophecy. I thank you for the book of Daniel. I thank you, Lord, that you're a God that knows the beginning from the ending, and you see all things, and you see it all alike, and Lord, nothing hid from your face or from your eyes. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you would give guidance and encouragement here tonight as we preach, and Lord, open the eyes of our understanding. We need your help. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated this evening. Now, I, I want to point out again here that in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel chapter 11, Daniel chapter 12, all of this is one section of Scripture. It's one vision. In Daniel chapter 10, we have the introduction to that vision that we dealt with this morning and Wednesday night. Daniel chapter 11 is really the detailed vision. We're going to delve into some of that tonight. And then in Daniel chapter 12 is kind of the conclusion or the epilogue to the vision of Daniel. Now this vision of chapter 11 is divided into two parts. The first part, verses 1 through 35, is now history for us. And really covers that first 69 weeks of Daniel chapter 9 that we preached about previously. Now for Daniel, understand this was all future. Uh, for us, it is history. Uh, it's now in the past for us. Uh, one of the most detailed prophecies in all of the Word of God is found right here. Very intricate details that God gives to us. And God takes us through centuries from Daniel's day in 533 B.C. Uh, until the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the latter part of this chapter, we go through the uh, time of the Lord for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we've mentioned before, even more so with this section of Scripture. The prophecy was so detailed and so accurate 
that those that attacked the Bible said it had to be written during the days of the Maccabean revolt, about three uh, to four and a half, or three and a half to four centuries after Daniel actually penned this. Now, of course, here tonight, we know that Daniel's the author. In fact, Jesus confirmed that for us in, in the Bible. We know this is the word of God, and this was penned by the prophet Daniel. And here tonight, through this, we see God had a purpose in that prophecy. Why did God put prophecy in the Bible? Why is it a part of God's word? Now, the latter part of chapter 11 is still future for us. And we're going to get to that at a later date. It's dealing with the 70th week of Daniel chapter 9. And it speaks of the coming of Antichrist. And it, it speaks of all of the dealings of Antichrist with the Jewish people. Remember the purpose of the vision. God is dealing with His people or with the Jews or with Daniel's people. And He's dealing with the land of Israel. Now we believe that the latter part of this chapter will be literally fulfilled just as the first part of this chapter was literally fulfilled. And so God is giving us such detail, I think, to show us that He's a detailed God and that in the end He completes all of His Scripture. And so it'll be a future message for us. Now tonight, God's purpose for prophecy. Uh, for us, uh, it's like reading this section of Scripture. like reading a history book. Uh, for Daniel, it was prophecy. We're not going to go through every detail of this prophecy. I'd bore you to death. If we went through all of the, all of the history, really to, to go through this, and there's a time for that, and uh, it would be very difficult if we were able to put all of the details up on a board and we were to show you the kings and their times of reigning and the various wars, and it would make it a lot easier for us to follow through. And, and I would encourage you, if you like history, there are several books that uh, you could uh, pick up on, and uh, there is a book by, by Clarence Larkin on the book of Daniel, and I think it was copyrighted in 1929. And, and really the detail that Clarence Larkin gives in this uh, uh, book by, by uh, uh, John Phillips and on the book of Daniel likewise and uh, detailed charts and all of this history and, and showing the detail. And if you want to go through detail, uh, sometimes those will be great uh, uh, aspects for you to get a hold of. Uh, we have uh, the, the, the historian Josephus and we have writings of Josephus that deal with a lot of this information. There's the book of Maccabees, a historical book that deals with much of this information and, and as we said very intricate in detail we're going to examine some of that detail as needed but we're not going to go into all of the specifics what I want to do is give you three purposes tonight of prophecy why does God give prophecy in the Bible and let me state number one I believe God uses prophecy to confirm the Bible to us uh, as we have mentioned this Bible is an amazing book. How do we know the Bible is true? How do we know that uh, God uh, has given us a book and that it's God's book, that it's God's word? How do we know that the Bible is different than any other book that has ever been penned? Uh, a lot of people attack the Bible. Uh, people hate the Bible. And yet amazingly, the Bible has withstood all of the attacks of men. Men have mocked the Bible, laughed at the Bible, 
and yet the Bible stands. I think of various atheists through the years that have attacked the Bible and they passed off of the scene, yet the Bible stands firm and strong. In fact, many of these atheists, even on their deathbed, had to admit the Bible that they attacked and the God that they attacked all of their life turned out to be true and that they had missed that God in rejecting Him. And so God has given us, I believe, prophecy to show us the accuracy of the Bible. I believe the Bible is always accurate in every detail. The Bible is accurate in its science. If you take a genuine science and compare it to the Bible, they will coincide together. If something contradicts the Bible, you can mark it the Bible is true and that science or those theories are false. God said in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth and everything came from nothing. It's not an accident. And evolution tonight has a lot of problems that they cannot verify. Uh, evolution cannot tell us where matter came from. And yet the scientific theory says that matter can neither increase nor decrease. Where did it come from? Uh, we know that it came from God, that God spoke it into being, and that out of nothing, God made everything. Uh, evolution tonight cannot explain life and where life came from. Uh, they tell us in scientific theories that life cannot, uh, be re, uh, cannot make itself or cannot, life has to come from life. And so we know that biblically life came from God who is the giver of life. And, and so evolution cannot explain where life came from. And evolution cannot get beyond the barrier that everything reproduces after its kind. Uh, for example, dogs reproduce dogs. Various types of dogs and sizes of dogs and shapes of dogs, but dogs are dogs. And cats reproduce cats. And uh, various shapes and sizes of cats, but cats reproduce cats. And humans reproduce humans. And humans did not come from apes. And apes reproduce themselves. And uh, we know that grass reproduces according to its kind. And trees reproduce according to its kind. And we know that the Bible is accurate in it's science, and you can take what the Bible expresses scientifically. Uh, the, the Bible's accurate in its history. Uh, Genesis chapter 10, we have the division of nations, the division of languages. And let me just express that all of this racial turmoil of our day is solved just going to the Bible. Because we all come from the same God. We all trace our roots back to Adam. We all trace our roots back to Noah. And the Bible tells us how God divided all the nations. Let me just say, never apologize for who you are. Uh, be grateful for who God made you to be. And whatever you are, whoever you are, thank the Lord for that. And thank God for who God made you to be. And be grateful for that. And every person is special in the eyes of God, created and made in the image of God. And history tells us that, and the Bible gives us that accurate history. Daniel chapter 5 was a passage of Scripture that Bible critics for many years attacked. And yet as they dug in the archaeological ruins of, uh, of Babylon, they discovered the man Belshazzar just as Daniel said he existed, and they found that he died just as Daniel said that he died. And we find that history verifies the Word of God. The Bible's accurate in its history. The Bible's accurate in its morality tonight. God made man. And God who made man knows what's best for man. One of the most accurate records of morality in the Word of God, the Ten Commandments written upon the heart of man. God said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. God knew what was right for man. 
God said, honor thy father and thy mother. God said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Uh, God put that moral record in the Bible and men and women and boys and girls who live according to the moral standards of God are going to have a much happier and healthier and better life. That's the word of God. And so the Bible's accurate in its morality. But may I say tonight, and this is where we're at, the Bible is accurate in its prophecies. Man does not know the future, but God does. We look at the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Over 300 prophecies, miraculously fulfilled, detailed. This section of Scripture, one of the most amazing historical prophecies, or we might call it tonight pre-written history. At the end of it, as I read through this and, and read through the history of all of this, I, I stand in awe at the accuracy of God's Word. I, I stand in awe of, of God and His Word and how God gave to this man many years before all of these events ever happened, how God gave the very intricate details. Now, we're not going to go through all of the details, but I want to give you just a few of these details. For example, look in verse number 2. Of Daniel 11. And God, uh, this angel, Gabriel, says to Daniel, And now will I show thee the truth. Behold, there shall stand up yet three kings in Persia. And when Daniel penned this, was given this vision, Cyrus was the king. It was the third year of Cyrus. He said, There shall stand up yet three kings in Persia. We know of those three kings from history as Ahasuerus, Artaxerxes, Darius, these three kings, if you want to put beside this verse, Ezra chapter 4, verses 1 through 24. These three kings are mentioned in that passage of Scripture. And then he makes this statement, And the fourth shall be far richer than they all. Uh, that was the Xerxes of history. Uh, he had vast riches and he put vast armies on the field. And by his strength, through his riches, he shall store up all against the realm of Grecia. And we know from history that this Persian king attacked Greece under the reign of Philip of Macedonia, who, by the way, became the father, was the father of Alexander the Great. And so history has been verified. Daniel gave this as a prophecy, very intricate detail, perfectly fulfilled in history. Uh, we move on in a couple of other details. Verse number 3 uh, really takes us back to Daniel's previous visions and the rise of the Grecian Empire. Verse number 3, and a mighty king, we know this is Alexander the Great, shall stand up that shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. History tells us of his great power, a mighty king that would stand up and have uh, dominion. Twelve short years he conquered Persia, he conquered the known world. And Secular history tells us many details of Alexander the Great. And amazingly, the secular history telling about Alexander the Great perfectly fits what Daniel prophesied ahead of time in the Word of God. In verse number 4, it says, and when he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken. Alexander died just before the age of 33. Health issues and alcoholism. Uh, he conquered the world. He lamented on his deathbed. There were no more worlds to conquer, but he could not conquer his own flesh and died uh, an alcoholic. At his death, his kingdom was divided. That's what it says. 
It shall be divided toward the four winds of heaven and not to his posterity. An interesting statement. His posterity was extinct in 15 years from his death. They were murdered. And so the kingdom was divided, not to his posterity, uh, but it was divided among his four leading generals. We know that from history. And it says, Not according to his dominion, which he ruled for his kingdom, shall be plucked up even for others beside those. And uh, I won't give you the, all of the... Uh, uh, the different uh, commanders and generals that uh, took over rule, but there was a portion that went uh, toward Macedonia, the western part, and a port, uh, portion that went to the northern ruler. And then there was Seleucus who took Syria and the eastern part, and Ptolemy took Egypt and the southern part. And very interestingly from this point, God begins to focus and narrow to two of those four kingdoms, two of those four divisions into which Alexander's kingdom was divided. And for the next portion of this chapter, there are battles between the Seleucids and, the, uh, in, and Syria in the north and the Ptolemies and Egypt in the south and very intricate details given of those battles between those kingdoms. Now the reason being, remember this prophecy is for the children of Israel, for the people of Daniel. And so God focuses upon these two empires because Judea, sits between Syria on the north and Egypt on the south. And so as these battles are taking place between the northern Syrians and the southern Egyptians, they're treading all across the land of Palestine. They're coming and coming forth into Judea, into Jerusalem, and it affects the Jews. It's affecting Israel. That's the purpose of this prophecy. I want you to notice, for example, in verse 16. But he that cometh against him shall do according to his own will. And none shall stand before him, and he shall stand in the glorious land. That's Israel, that's Palestine, which by his hand shall be consumed. We go to verse number 41. In verse number 41, he shall enter into the glorious land, that's Israel, and many countries shall be overthrown. And go to verse number 45, and he shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. And, and so the reason God focuses upon these two particular empires or these two portions of that division is because it is affecting the land of Israel, the land of Judea. Now for several centuries there was war between these two factions. And because Israel's located between these two factions, armies traveled through the land of Palestine. Kings and kingdoms were battling for prominence. And all of it affected Daniel's people. That was centuries before the Lord Jesus Christ. Daniel was given some amazing detail. And uh, again, we're not going to go into all of this, but you will be astounded. If you'll take a book and look at history, and if you could look at all the descriptions of the kings and the kingdoms and the wars and, and the different truces and, and the different uh, uh, battles that took place, it's detailed for us here in the book of Daniel. And uh, in, in the days of Daniel, from the days of Daniel all the way uh, to the days of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are a lot of wars that are recorded, wars between Egypt, wars between Syria. There's murders, there's truces, there are lies uh, that are, that are uh, uh, implicated in the midst of this portion of Scripture. And those wars inflicted great suffering upon the nation of Israel. Go back with me to chapter 10 and verse 14. And this was what this vision was all about. In chapter 10, verse 14, Gabriel said now, I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people 
in the latter days, for yet the vision shall be for many days. And so much of the battles brought persecution. Israel was used in the midst of it as puppets. Now, I want you to go back to Daniel 11, and beginning at verse number 21, we deal with an Old Testament type of the Antichrist, Antiochus Epiphanes. We dealt with them back in Daniel chapter 8. Daniel 11, verse number 21. And it states, In his estate shall stand up a vile person, in whom they shall not give honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. And we know from history this was Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, Antiochus was from the Seleucids, or the Syrian portion, the kings of the north. Uh, Historians tell us that this man, Antiochus, was vile. He was contemptible. He was eccentric. Some actually called him, instead of Epiphanes, which means a manifestation of God, they called him Epinemes, which means uh, Antioch the mad. He was a madman, a cruel man. He was cruel to the Jews. He was given uh, to, to really uh, degraded and unnatural vices. Uh, he was cruel, a savage temper he was described of. And through deceit, as the Bible described here, and flattery, he rose to the throne. In verse number 23, after the league made with him, he shall work deceitfully. And he was known for his deception and lies as he just kind of put together his kingdom. Verse number 28, I'm just going to skip some of the details in this. And in verse number 28, after a war with Egypt, then shall he return into his land with great riches, and his heart shall be against the holy covenant. And he shall do exploits and return to his own land. Antiochus was cruel to the Jews. After conquests in in Egypt, he came back to Jerusalem. It was stated, and history tells us this, he killed 40,000 of the Jews in Jerusalem. He took another 40,000 of them into slavery. He plundered the temple at that time. He carried off the temple treasuries. And it was stated that he sacrificed a sow, a pig, which was abominable to the Jews. He sacrificed the sow on the brazen altar in the temple court. In verse number 30, just a few other details. For the ships of Chittim shall come against him. And that was an amazing fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, He went again to war in Egypt. The Roman armies met him at this very location, the ships of Chittim. And and they came against him and, and he was turned back from Egypt. And he went back and attacked again Judea. Notice this, for the ships of Chittim shall come against him. Therefore, he shall be grieved and return and have indignation against the holy covenant, so shall he do. He shall even return and have intelligence with them that forsake the holy covenant, and arms shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, and shall take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. After suffering this defeat in Egypt at the hands of the Romans, he attacked Judea, and there were some Hellenistic Jews. These were Grecian Jews that joined him. And they took away the temple sacrifices, they took away some of the temple ceremonies, and they attacked Jewish worshipers on the Sabbath, again killing many of them. He built an altar in the temple in honor of Zeus, to a false god, to a false idol. And during the days of Antiochus Epiphanes, it was said that throughout Judea there were temples to Greek gods. And many of the Jews who had departed from the things of God, uh, turning in a direction 
of idolatry. It was a low point in Israel's history. That was 175 to 164 B.C., not quite two centuries before the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to go to a portion of Scripture because this is really an encouragement to us. We skimmed through that very quickly. Look with me in verse number 32. In the midst of this low point in Judea, God always has a remnant. He says, And such as do wickedly, verse 32, against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. Those were those that joined him. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many, yet they shall fall by the sword and by flame, by captivity, by spoil, many days. Now we know from history there was a man by the name of Mattathias and his five sons that were known as the Maccabees. And the Maccabean Revolt, one of the greatest historical facts in Jewish history, and it is really an amazing story, uh, the Maccabean Revolt. And, and the Maccabees, and Mattathias in particular, knew the book of Daniel. And what was interesting, and history tells us, they were following the book of Daniel. And they knew where they were in prophecy according to Daniel's timetable. And they could understand, they could pick out, and they could understand, and they were looking forward to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. They restored temple worship, they repaired and cleansed and restored the temple that Antiochus Epiphanes had desecrated. There was another group that were known as the Masticum, and they were the wise, they knew the word of God, and they served God. I want you to keep your place here in Daniel 11, because I think Hebrews 11, if you'll turn your place to Hebrews 11, I think Hebrews 11 describes uh, this very time frame, and uh, you'll see this in, in detail here. Hebrews 11, I want you to look with me at verse number 35. Hebrews 11, verse number 35. We know of this chapter as the hall of faith. Uh, those that accomplished and won battles by faith. We read in Hebrews 11 verse 35, women received their dead raised to life again. But notice this, others were tortured. I know this has been the case throughout history, but it was especially the case during the Maccabean Revolt. It was especially the case during those days of Antiochus Epiphanes. Those that stood for Christ, many times during this time they gave their life. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourging, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth." And that's always been the case of history with God's people and the martyrdoms of those that have known the Lord. And it was the case during those days of the revolt against the uh, desecrations of Antiochus Epiphanes. Now God allowed persecution. Go back with me to Daniel chapter 11. And I believe we may be heading to some days like this ourselves if the Lord tarries his return. In verse number 34, uh, speaking of this time frame, Now when they shall fall, they shall be hoping with a little help, but many shall cleave to them with flatteries, and some of them of understanding shall fall. 
and to, to try them and to purge and to make them white, even to the time of the end, because it is yet for a time appointed. God allowed the persecution to test His people. Uh, we know that the Lord, and, and these were uh, a century or so before the return or before the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now this portion of the Bible is history for us. But God used prophecy to show us the Bible is accurate. And can I say tonight the Bible is 100% accurate in its prophecy. The Bible is 100% truthful tonight. We can trust it. We can trust it completely, implicitly. We can trust the Word of God without fail. And God has proven that. So God uses prophecy to show the truth of His Word. Now, let me give you a second reason for prophecy. God uses prophecy to reveal Himself to us. Now, God is omniscient. You and I are limited. God is not. Uh, omniscient means that God is all-knowing. And when we say that God is all-knowing, when we say that God is omniscient, do you realize the future for God is known of God? Just as the past is known of God? God has a bird's-eye view of time. God is not limited by time. We are finite beings. God is not. It blows my mind. I can't grasp it. I can't understand it tonight. But God sits above time and God looks into the future just as if it were yesterday. And prophecy shows us that God is omniscient, that God is all-knowing. The details of Daniel chapter 11 show us that truth. Nothing hidden from God. Now let me also say that God is omnipotent. That means that God is all-powerful. You see, only a powerful God could give the details to Daniel and then perfectly fulfill those details. There are some of the details in Daniel chapter 11 that are humanly impossible to take place. But God did it. And we can see this in the details fulfilled in the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. For example, the virgin birth, that's humanly impossible. It was prophesied and God fulfilled it because nothing is too hard for God. He was born in Bethlehem, Jesus Christ, and, and God had to implement a tax to take Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem, and uh, God fulfilled that because God is all-powerful. Is there anything too hard for God tonight? And so prophecy shows us the omnipotence of God. And God, uh, through prophecy, shows us His omnibenevolence. You see, despite the sin of man, God is working His purpose. And if we study the nation of Israel, one of the reasons persecutions came their direction, one of the reasons it was so hard and difficult was because of their sin. It was because of their rebellion, because of their failure. And yet in the midst of their failure, God still cared for them. And God gave these intricate, detailed prophecies uh, to show His care for the nation of Israel and to show us that in the end, God is going to win the battle. Let me say something to us tonight. You see, if God fails at one single promise to the nation of Israel, we cannot trust another promise in the Word of God. You see, if God's covenant to Israel is not an everlasting covenant, then friend, how can we know that God's covenant to us is an everlasting covenant? How can we know the security of our salvation? And I say to you tonight that God is omnibenevolent and that God fulfills His word and that God's promises are always truthful, always right, and so will God's promises to you be truthful and right. And so God gives prophecy 
to show us himself who he is, to reveal himself unto us. You see, the vision of Daniel chapter 11, with all the wars, with all the persecutions, with all the heartaches for the children of Israel, God had a purpose in it. It was to purge his people. It was to bring them to this place that we're going to come to at the end of Daniel chapter 11, where all of Israel will be saved. See, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. That's my God. He's faithful always, always, always faithful. So God uses prophecy to reveal himself. Let me give you a third detail. Why does God give prophecy? God uses prophecy to prepare his people. These prophecies in the book of Daniel were greatly used to prepare for Christ's first coming. Now, although many Jews apostatized, we spoke of that, they followed the Greek gods, there was a remnant that stayed true to the Lord. We mentioned the Mastulim, the Wise, the Maccabees. Uh, we know in the days of Christ there was Simeon. You remember Simeon? Uh, when Mary brought Jesus into the temple, Simeon had been waiting for the Messiah. How did he know that the Messiah would come? Well, of course, the Holy Spirit had taught him that, but I believe Simeon was a student of the Word of God. And there's no doubt in my mind that Simeon understood these prophecies in the book of Daniel. And Simeon could look at the timetable and Simeon could say, we're due for the Messiah in our day. Simeon could read that. Anna, when Jesus was brought into the temple, worshipped the Lord, recognizing the Messiah. We know in the days of Christ, there was Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were faithful to God, no doubt. They were knowledgeable of the prophecies of Daniel. There was Joseph and Mary. And uh, no doubt that Mary uh, knew that in her time, there was coming a Messiah. And God would use her as the vessel to bring the Messiah into the world. And so the prophecies of Daniel prepared the people for the first coming of Christ. But see, there are still more of the prophecy of Daniel to be fulfilled. And I'm convinced of this. The prophecies of Daniel uh, will show the Jews where they will be and be greatly used of the Jews during the time of the tribulation. Now, I want you to go with me to Daniel 12 and verse number 4. Daniel 12, verse number 4. And it reads, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Now what that tells me, and I, I believe it's going to be during the tribulation, uh, that this book is going to be opened unto the Jews. And they're going to begin to discern where they are once again on God's timetable. And I'm convinced that Daniel was given great insight into the coming Antichrist because the Jews are going to sign a false peace treaty with the Antichrist and it's going to be during the tribulation they're going to be awakened to the fact they missed the Messiah and I believe God is going to use the prophecy of the book of Daniel to open their eyes in that time. Now for you and I here today, prophecies ought to point us to the fact that our Jesus is coming back again. Amen. I want you to turn with me, if you would, to the book of Matthew, chapter number 24. I think we ought to be excited if we understand what's happening in our world today. 
In the book of Matthew, chapter 24, I, I read recently a portion of this chapter. I believe a portion of this chapter is given particularly to the Jews and will help them to turn to the book of Daniel. You'll notice, for example, and I believe God, this is the, uh, the gospel of the Jews, we might say. This is uh, the gospel that presents Jesus as the king of the Jews. And I believe to the Jews during the time of the tribulation, look in Daniel 24, verse 15, we spoke of this. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand, and then God gives directions unto them. In verse number 24, God said, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say to you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning coming out of the west and shineth even to the west, even so or even also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And here the Lord is, is telling, I believe, to the Jewish nation, when you see that abomination of desolation, you need to get out of Judea. You need to flee into the wilderness. And he said there are going to be false Christs. And we know that the Antichrist and the false prophet are going to work miracles. And he said, don't be deceived. He said, when Jesus comes back, he's going to come as the lightning in the sky. And every eye is going to behold him. And he's speaking at the return of Christ at the end of the tribulation. That's a message for the Jews. But I want you to look at this. There's a message for us in this. Let's go to chapter 24, Matthew, verse 32. He says, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. In verse 36, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And he says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And then you'll notice in verse number 40, here's a word for you and I. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. We're talking about the rapture. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, the other left. He says, watch therefore... For you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. Here the Lord is telling us that He's coming. He's uh, going to come back and, and the trumpet is going to sound. That's for us. Now for the Jews, they're going to be left behind during the tribulation if they've not received Jesus Christ. And uh, the Lord warns them, the abomination of desolation is a word for them, but for you and I, He says, be ready. See, in such an hour as you think not. See, it's imminent. The Jews will be able during the tribulation to mark the very details of the time down to the very day when Jesus is going to come from heaven and, and put an end to it all. But for you and I, no man knows the day nor the hour. We don't know when that trumpet is going to sound, but we know this, it's going to come, it's going to sound. I, I can't help but believe that Christ's coming must be just around the corner. I want you to look at verse 45, Matthew 24. 
Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all of his goods. But if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink and be drunk. And the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour when he is not aware. And friend, there's a strong warning there for us. We need to be prepared. And I would just ask this question this morning. Are you ready for the trumpet? Are you ready for the Lord to come? See, prophecy is given for the benefit of God's people so that we can be discerning of the times and where we are on God's timetable. God uses prophecy to prove His Word. It's always accurate. This Bible is true from cover to cover. It's God's Word. It's different than any other book that's ever been penned. God uses prophecy to reveal His character. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnibenevolent. The character of God, He's faithful. As we sing, He's always faithful. And God uses prophecy to prepare His people for these future events. I think Daniel 11 was placed in the Bible to give us those intricate details for us that are now history to show us who God is. Let's bow our heads tonight, every head bow.